Welcome to Invest Stories, a podcast about real stories, real estate, and taking real action. Join hosts John Cooper and Kyle Robertson as they talk investing, mindset, and taking that first step. We all have a story. What's yours? The Invest Stories Podcast. Welcome to Tuesday Techers. I know it's a cliche name. Uh, Investories podcast is all about adding value, all about adding those digestible bits of content and information. And we're super excited to bring you part two of this interview. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Please reach out to us anytime you have any questions or just want to connect or say hi or say we're doing really well or hey, you could even say we're not doing well, but please don't do that. Uh, Investories podcast at gmail.com and investories pod on your socials and we look forward to hearing from you and uh... and and i i there's so much gold in, in what you were talking about just now and so many different points that i really hope that people were paying attention to because it, i can't tell you how many times we've we've talked about on this show leverage 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 you know and and, and not just us man it's it's everybody it's community it's it's anybody who's under the age of 40 who's, like you said, been in this game for you know less than 15 years. They think that you know this is the way to grow because that's what the, quote, gurus are telling everybody to do. And I think, you know, this this what's going on right now, I don't know if we've seen the end of it. Nobody does. There's lots of speculation if if this is the end of the recession or if we're going to have a soft landing, blah, blah, blah. We, we don't know. Nobody knows. But the stagnation of real estate is a real thing. You know, it, it really can stagnate, but nobody wants to believe that because it hasn't happened in their investing careers. And then you, when I look to the guys, like you were talking about the older guys, the guys that have been around for a little while, and I see 50% leverage or less or 0% leverage. And these guys are sitting back drinking their Mai Tais, retiring out to Palm Springs. You know, it's like, look, number one, they put their time in, they earned their stripes, probably took some licks like yourself. And they, they learned from it. And here you are with your with your portfolio paid off. You're not exposed to the banks. You really can become slaves to leverage. And when, yeah, when bad times happen, you, those are the ones, those are the people that get crushed. And so that's, that is such a huge point. I wish that people could start looking out of both eyes, as if that's the right, the right term to say, and, and, and think, okay, yes, use the, use, yeah, it is now. <laughs> Thanks, John. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and use leverage appropriately and responsibly. But then know when to say when. And, and I, I was talking on this podcast not that long ago. Gosh, if I had my properties paid off, the amount of cash flow I would have would just be stupid. Just a stupid amount of cash flow. It, it but, is. I, but they're not paid off. And I don't have a stupid amount of cash flow, which is sad. But now my wife and I have been having a lot of conversations. Is it time to pivot? And so did it take 2008 for you to realize it was time for me to pivot or 2007? And as, as you said, to, that it's time for me to pivot and, and quit doing this and go to these short term loans and how hard was that to change your mindset? It wasn't hard. It was not hard to change the mindset because I was floundering, right? I was floundering and I'm looking at who's doing well. And I'm a, I teach this as well. I always teach people. I said, listen, you don't have to invent anything. Look at somebody who's doing what you want and do that, right? It's not rocket science. And right. so I realized, okay, the guys who were safe and secure and doing great, good market, bad market, this is what they did. So I didn't need to be convinced any further of that. What I did have a problem with, though, is I lost a ton of houses to foreclosure. So how do you think my credit was, right? Crap. I had no income all of 2007, almost all of 2008. I had zero income. So I have no taxes to show. So I can't qualify for anything. To this day, we're doing this now in 2023. I have not used a bank for anything since 2007, anything. So what happened is now prices started coming down. 
And there are deals I'm like salivating over. I would love to buy this, but simultaneously I'm dead to the banks. So which is what kind of started the percolating with, well, how can I do this? How can I buy them and use private money, obviously, but I don't want to be in debt, but I still don't have any money now. So I have to borrow and get them paid off. And so I did all kinds of calculations till I came up with the number and the number. And I know if you're in California and both of you guys in California and in Oregon, when I, when you hear these numbers, you're going to be like, you're insane. These numbers don't exist. But I always tell people, I said, just use the internet. They exist. We, we were buying houses at $30,000 and financing them for five years at 12% interest. We're paying, we still pay 12% interest, but that makes your payment 667.33. And that's amortized. There's no balloon. And then I'm simultaneously selling them for it, back then, it was for eighty nine thousand. Now the same house we're getting one ninety nine, but for eighty nine thousand for thirty years and collecting eight seventy five a month, and so it was all just cash flow. We weren't making anything for five years. You know, after taxes and insurance, we're not making anything. But then after five years, it's all ours, and um, and so it was a struggle. You have to suffer through those first five years. But I'm like, I'd rather suffer for five years than be on a on house of cards for the rest of my life, and. You know, so it was a it was a, a risk and a struggle the first five years. You're like, is this worth it? Am I doing the right thing? You know, because you're not making any money. You're buying all these houses, but as soon as we hit the sixty first month, all of a sudden you, you're like, ah, it was right. The way I had it in my head was right. And uh, I, I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious. I, I, this is really interesting. The the five year you know you're fully amortized for a five year term. So are you actually? I understand that these purchase price these, these price points are far lower than what we're typically you know doing on in the coastal states, but you know, at, at, are you, do you have to have a significant amount of reserves in order to, to weather those storms? You know, you know, one payment missed on a, you know, 30 year amortization for a $90,000 for, I'm sorry, for a five year amortization on a $90,000 house. I, I mean, are you, are you dipping into quite a bit of reserves? Is this, I could imagine this would be a, be a lot of brain damage thinking about, holy crap, I'm going to yeah. lose, lose my butt on this, right? Zero. And I'll explain to you why. So first off, we won't buy a 90,000. The math has to work. The highest we typically go will be 50. Um, now I have houses, there's, there's two sides to this. I have houses all the way up to 875 that we still do this with, but we don't, we do the buy side and the sell side, right? But the slow flip is both sides, the paying them off and selling them on 30 years. So the reason I say zero reserves is because when we sell them, we get three to $5,000 down. Again, today's numbers are higher, but I always try and use the lower numbers because those, we don't know what happens tomorrow, right? So three to $5,000 down. And then there's a tiny bit of cash flow per month. Maybe it's a hundred, 150. But the way I teach my people is I say, you put that money in the bank and you don't get it until the house is paid off. Meaning that 3,000, that 5,000 sits there. The extra hundred, $200 a month sits there until it's paid off, which is the opposite of what everyone teaches. I know everybody loves to teach to live on the spread. I teach the opposite. I, I tell people and people hate to hear this. I say, you do not deserve to make a dollar off your house until it's free and clear. Because until then, it's not your house. It's the bank's house. And you have a job working for the bank, right? Your job is to, to do all the work and then send the money up to them. So until you fulfilled your job, which is paying it off, that money's not yours. And, you know, and I know technically it is yours, but that's the way I teach them. And this way, it takes away from what you just said, Kyle, that pressure and struggle. What happens if a tenant doesn't pay? What happens if there's an eviction? Well, now I got five or six or seven payments there. So if it takes me six weeks to get them out or two months to get them out and I'm vacant another month, there's no pressure on me that I have to come up with this money in between. And then you collect another three or five grand down and now you're off to races again moving forward. So is that privately financed, that five-year term? All private lenders, correct. It has to be private lenders because banks, the reason this opportunity exists banks, this, there's, there's a hole in the marketplace, right? These lower end housing, the sellers need cash to sell. 
they, they need the money to move on to their next place. But the buyers who are buying these need financing to buy. They don't have the cash. And so we step in the middle. We give them their cash. Even doesn't mean it's our cash. We give them their cash and we give them their financing. So we just step in the middle and fulfill that need, which is there. The buyers need the financing. The sellers need the cash. So you, I think this is probably the the, the tactics of the the slow fit, slow flip, the kind of the the flow of it. I guess. I guess yep. I'm trying to understand. Are you? Is it kind of like a lease to own model, or is it the five year runs and then it's a sale for the thirty year fixed term? We sell it from day one. We do it through a land. Some states call it a land contract, a contract for Got deed, it. agreement for deed. Um, we do not do a lease option or a rent to own. And I, I did in the beginning, and then I learned some valuable lessons that most of what everyone teaches is not correct. Um, I learned that in court. You know, everyone teaches, oh, put in the contract, they're responsible for everything. Well, it is in the contract, but the judge says, no, it's a lease. <laughs> and the law says you're responsible. And um, so I met with an attorney and I said, well, this is what the judge just told me. What do we got to do? And he went over and revised my contracts and made it so we're in compliance with all the laws, but not landlords. We are, the, the judge's words were, the benefits and burdens must convey together. With, a, with the lease option, I'm keeping the benefit and giving them the burden, right? And um, so so we, we made it so the benefits and burdens convey together. They have all the benefits of ownerships and all the burdens of ownership. And um, so it's it, they are fine. We, do, we don't give them balloons. Our people get a really good deal too, mind you. They don't have balloons. They never have to refi. They have the same payment, and then they eventually are paying it off. So it's a, it's a win all the way around. Our lenders win, we win, our buyers win, and uh, everybody wins in the process. So perhaps you can talk us through a, a typical deal and the process breakdown. I think before that, I want to ask a question. I'm going to sneak two questions in, Kyle. Um, around how do you find these financing partners? What was the what was the private lenders? Point? Yeah, private lenders. Yeah. So I have a whole strategy, and and I love to teach private money because we do so well with um, raising money. That everybody starts off. I always say you start with friends and family, right? And the first thing out of everyone's mouth is, "Well, that's easy for you. I don't know anybody that has any money. Nobody in my family has any money. None of my friends have any money." And I agree, right? And if they did, they're certainly not letting you know about it, right? But so that's what people who are saying that. However, the reality is the money is out there. There is plenty of money that's earning, I used to say 1%, but now they're getting up there 4% in banks, right? That they would be happy to be earning 12% secured by real estate if you had a plan and program and knew what you were doing. And so that is what we teach them to start off by asking, starting with friends and family, but the way we do it, what stops most people, and if I ramble on too much, John, just let me know, because um, I will talk. I love real estate. I can talk about real estate forever. But the way we do it, what stops most people is their fear of rejection. They're like, well, I'm not going to ask them because I know they're going to say no anyway. And then why bother? They're going to tell me no. So the way we get around that is we never, first of all, we never ask. We offer an opportunity, right? We, we, don't, we never ask someone to loan. We offer an opportunity to make 12% on your money secured by real estate. But to take it a step further so you can't be rejected is we never offer it to them. So if I'm talking to you right now, John, I will offer it to you, but not to you. I will tell you about it, but I will ask you if you know anybody who might be interested in making a 12% return on their money secured by real estate. Really, I am talking to you. However, you can't tell me no because I'm not asking you to loan me anything. And we always want to maintain our program. And the way we do that is... I will keep asking you if you know anybody. And then when you say, John, you'll be like, well, I might be interested in that. Tell me about it. I said, not you. You're doing you're doing all this crypto stuff or you're doing your whatever. <laughs> and, um, you know, you're doing Airbnbs, not you, but you may know somebody until you're saying, no, I might be interested. Tell me about it. And we do that. So we maintain the position 
in control. So it's our program, not asking, can you please loan me money? You know, we don't want to ever be in that position. So we maintain the conversation by offering an opportunity and not to them, but do they know somebody who might be interested in that opportunity? Interesting stuff. I, I am not the, uh, I'm not the guy that, that I, I'm, I'm that guy you described who doesn't like the rejection. So I've never actually asked anybody for money before. Um, yeah. I've gotten to the point must where be rejected, right? Eh, nobody likes to hear the no word. Right. I mean, and I, I'm one of those and I've, uh, I've, I've bankrolled everything that I've got up to this point and I've gotten, and I think every investor gets to that at some point, this point where I'm at, where it's like, you know, I've, I've deployed the majority of what I feel comfortable deploying, what's next step for me. And for me, I think it's probably going to be, you know, heading that direction, whether it's partnerships, uh, raising private capital or, or something along those lines. Um, so when, when you do find this type of a person, I guess, how do you, this is kind of nuts and bolts of things. And it sounds like since you run the Academy that you're, you're okay explaining these things. Somebody says, let's say that same example, John says, Oh, I might be interested in something like that. So what do you say next to them? Would do you, I mean, if they say, look, you know, I've got a retirement account, but I don't know what to do with it. You know, I've got some savings that I'm making 0.01 at Chase Bank with. So I guess what's next so that you don't sound too pushy, because that would kind of alleviate some of the fears of these people asking for money that, you know, I don't I, they don't want to be pushy. I, I don't want to be pushy. Right. I always make them come to me for it. I never ask anybody like are you ready to go right now? I always say, well, we'll put you on a list because I have a list of, you know, even when you have none, I say, well, if you if you know for sure you want to do it, let me know how many because we do 30s or 50s. So back then it was all just 30s. And I say, well, let me know if you just want to do one or two or three. Let me know how many you want to do. And I'll put you on the list. And then when we get to you, you know, I'll send you the deal. Basically, the way we do it, same as any lender, we send it to the attorney. We'll give them your information as the lender. They create a note and deed of trust. You have the exact same protections as a bank would doing a mortgage. And you're the first and only note and deed of trust on the bank. You never give me any money. You wire it to the bank and the bank's going to send it to our seller. And um, and then starting the first of the next month, you start receiving your payment, 667.33 for 60 payments. It's really simple. I mean, it's it's and, it, and it's no lie. I mean, we're giving you the exact same protections a bank has. The same, you know, people's natural question is going to be like, well, what happened? The first question anyone thinks, what happens if you don't pay? Right. Or what's the worst case scenario? What what can go wrong? And, so, you know, so far to this date, we've been doing it since 2011. Plus, I have probably a hundred, over 100 students who are using private money. Also, not one person has been a month late. It doesn't mean it can't happen tomorrow. Right. And so I always take it a step further by saying, OK, because you can tell people all you want. I'll never default. Right. Well, OK, I get hit by a bus tomorrow. Right. So let's assume I get hit by a bus. So it's not me. It happened. And nobody wanted my houses and it all went bad. Well, then the same thing would happen that happens with a bank. They would they would put it into a foreclosure auction. And at auction, we, you know, we buy below market, obviously. And we also have been paying it down. It's on a five year mortgage, so it gets paid down pretty aggressively. Whatever it sells for at auction, you don't get it all, but you get up to the amount of your balance plus any fees. And then any overage of that, I guess, would go to my estate if I got hit by a bus. And if it didn't sell at auction, you got the house, which would really be your best case scenario, because now you got a house I went to, I found through my marketing and through my um, my work, that's what we do, and it got fixed up, and you probably have a slow flip buyer in it. So, you know, I always tell them, I said, the worst case scenario for you is I pay perfectly and you only make 12%, which is, you know, what we agreed on. Not, not bad. Yeah, I like that. Okay, that's that's super useful, I think. I'm with you, Kyle. I think fundraising fills me with dread, but it's something I, I feel like I need to learn and get good at. Um, the other thing is, John, is that after you do one or two or three, 
And even if your lender said they only want to do two or whatever, they had 60 grand they want to invest. It doesn't matter the amount. You'll find, and I've found since 2011, all of my lenders have stemmed from my existing lenders. All of them, because they're, you know, people know people who are like themselves, right? So you're having a conversation at a party, somebody's talking about whatever, whatever they invested in, and you're like, well, I'm making 12% every month, comes in a check every single month, and um, then they're be like, well, see if he needs any more. Man, that sounds good. How long have you been doing it? See if the guy will take another lender. And that's where they all come from. Somebody texts, hey, you looking for another lender? I just got one today that was from an attorney that's doing our closings out of state, and he he writes up the notes in deed of trust, so he knows that the, <laughs> he knows everything in Full and he sent me. He sent me that he wants to be a lender, and uh, you know their money's out there because it's a good return and it's secure. That's awesome. So, in terms of the the process, I guess what what's your process to finding the right fit of a property and then finding the right buyer? So the numbers. Even if they're none in your market, because I have people all over the country, right? And there's plenty of people who are, we have people in Oregon, we have people in Cal, we have people everywhere where they're like, there is no houses, you can't buy a parking space for 30 grand. What are you talking about? So we buy out of the area. So I buy in four different states. My main market is where I live, and that I have the majority of my houses here. But after this last run up we had during these last three years, we can't find it. I mean, I, I did close on a couple this month. I got lucky on, but um, most of the time I can't find too many in my local market. So we'll buy in Midwest states. And it's amazing to me. Like I, I, I put blinders on to those areas for so long because I just wanted to be in my market, right? And then when I finally started looking, I'm like, how does this even exist? We'll buy a house, no exaggeration. Again, you can Google it, you know, the areas for $20,000, a nice ranch, right? In good condition. And then and you look right on Zillow and it'll say the, the rent estimate or whatever they call it into 975. I'm like, how is a house that's 20,000 bringing 975 a month? It doesn't make any mathematical sense to me, but it sounds like a hell of an investment. And um, and so we'll look at these houses and then, but we won't rent them though. We'll sell them with the long-term owner financing. So, cause we don't want to be involved with, you know, fixing stuff. We operate like a bank. So all we do is process payments. First week of the month, we do all the work, we collect everything. And then after that, you know, it's not a whole lot of work. Thank you for listening to this episode of Investories podcast. And uh, as you can imagine with super stoked with that content amazing strategies amazing techniques um that we've really been able to dig into and uh, we're looking forward to bringing kind of the next phase of that which is really all about uh the case study kind of real world examples and how you can do the same we're going to call it wednesday wins and we're going to tackle that on the next episode thank you for listening to the investories podcast we all have a story what's yours the investories podcast